Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Jeremiah chapter 9, where my Bible is open to. and It is Jeremiah 9, where we will begin momentarily. I'm going to read a couple of verses in Jeremiah chapter 9 before we make our way to the Gospels, and that's where we'll spend the remainder of our time uh, this morning. But let's get those Bibles out, get those electronic Bibles fired up to Jeremiah the ninth chapter as we get ready to work together for these next few minutes in the Word of God. We have just an excellent number gathered together here today, and I, for one, am greatly encouraged by your presence and by your participation as we worship God in spirit and in truth. We do, as Glenn mentioned earlier, we have lots of folks that are visiting with us, and we're so thankful and appreciative of your presence today. Just a delight to be under the same roof with just so many people who are seeking after God, seeking after God's things, as we try to help each other to serve Him and ultimately be together with Him in heaven someday. To that end, then, let's read together in Jeremiah chapter 9, thinking about what's it going to take to get to heaven. Jeremiah 9 is going to kind of summarize in many ways what it takes to get to heaven. In Jeremiah 9, look with me in verse number 23. There the Lord, as He speaks through His prophet, He says in Jeremiah 9 and in verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Out of all of the people in the Bible, who do you think did that the best? Who do you think did that Jeremiah 9.24 thing the best? Understanding and knowing the Lord. I think there's maybe lots of people that come to mind when we think about people who knew the Lord and knew the Lord in a powerful way. Maybe somebody would say, "I, I, I think Moses knew the Lord just the very best. The Bible says that Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus chapter 33 verse 11. Somebody else might offer and say, well, I think Abraham knew the Lord the best. The Bible talks about him as being the friend of God, James 2 verse 23. Somebody else might offer David. You know, what about David? David and God have kind of a real up and down sort of relationship, but at the end of the day, 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 says that David was a man after God's own heart. I think there's lots of people that we would think of. Lots of people who would be in the running for the distinction of knowing the Lord the best. Because the Bible is filled with example after example of men and women who were close to the Lord. Men and women who knew the Lord. Men and women who had a strong relationship with God. Men and women. I want to suggest to you this morning, That if we are putting together a list of the people who knew the Lord the best, then we're going to have to include a woman in that conversation. Read with me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, in the opening paragraphs of the Gospel of Luke, we read there in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In Luke 1 verse 26, the Bible says, In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. You want to talk about knowing the Lord? Mary knew the Lord. In some ways, she knew the Lord in a fashion and in a way that no one else before her ever did and in a way that no one else ever will. Now, I need you to listen to me very, very carefully right here before I go any further this morning. I have no interest whatsoever in furthering Roman Catholicism's Mariolatry. I think there is just so much wrong with the veneration of Mary, the lifting her up as if she is some almost some kind of a deity herself. Just so much wrong with that, I almost just don't even know where to begin with all of that. Mary is not divine. Mary is not deity. She is not a co-redeemer. She is not equal with God and she never will be. That means then that worshiping Mary... Praying to Mary, lifting Mary up as an object of praise, that is, I'll just be very blunt, that's just wrong. That has no basis in Scripture whatsoever. And we want nothing to do with that kind of erroneous practice. Having said that though, the Bible does affirm that the Virgin Mary gave birth to our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. She, in her home, under her care, She raised a divine being. Can I just make that really, really simple for you? She was Jesus' mom. Just stop and rest in that for a moment. She was the mother of Jesus. One writer put together a list of questions that he would like to ask Mary someday, like, what was it like to see Jesus pray? Did you ever see him with a distant look on his face as if he was listening to someone that you couldn't hear? When Jesus and his cousin John got together, what did they do? What did they talk about when they were little boys? And then maybe my favorite question of all. Did you ever think to yourself, that is God sitting at my table eating my soup? Mary knew the Lord. And I am awed at the privilege that she had to care for the Lord. And it seems to me that if you and I, if we want to know the Lord, as Jeremiah 9.24 talks about, then we ought to do more than just be in awe of that relationship. Instead, we ought to look at that relationship and we ought to explore it and see what we can learn from that so that we can then know God the way that Mary knew God. And that is exactly why I want to spend this Mother's Day morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers in attendance. I want to spend just a few minutes today looking at arguably one of the most famous moms who have ever lived. And I want us to see what her example teaches us about knowing God. I fully recognize that none of us, none of us will ever be the mother of Jesus as Mary was. But you know what? I also recognize that Mary's relationship with the Lord, it was marked by things that we can do and must do, 
things that will help us to deepen our relationship with the Father in heaven. And this morning I want to highlight just three of those things from three specific episodes in the life of Mary. And I want to start all of that right here where we are in Luke chapter 1. Would you just continue reading where we left off? Verse 31, the angel says that you will call His name Jesus. Verse 32 now. He will be great. and He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34. So Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age. She has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, there's so much that could be unpacked from those few verses. There is, in verse 32 and 33, there is the very mission of Jesus that is outlined and foretold. There is as well in verses 35, 36, and 37, the the virgin birth being taught and being explained to her. But what I want to really focus on right here is Mary's response in verse 38. She says, after being told all of these things by Gabriel, of what's going to, to happen to her and what God has in store for her, She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What Mary shows us here, number one, is that a huge part of knowing God is that we submit to His will. You realize that what Mary is being told right here, it would have completely unraveled her world. All of the plans that she had for her life, all of the places that she thought that she would go, all of the things that she thought that she would do, all of the dreams that she had for her future, all of that is now radically changed by just these few words from Gabriel. From now on, everything is going to be changed. She will forever be branded a loose woman. Her fiancé will no longer want to marry her. For all of her life, whispers will follow her. When she walks down the street, people will nudge one another and say, Hey, You know about her, don't you? She will forever be looked at as a woman of sin. Now you and I know, having the benefit of the Scriptures and having hindsight 2020 vision, we know that Mary was blameless in that regard. We know that. Mary knew that. God knew that. Who else knew that? Nobody knew that. Joseph is going to be told later, but other than that, no one will ever know. And in fact... Who would even believe, even if Mary had went around to people and tried to explain what's going on and say, hey, I want want you to know what happened to me. This angel came and visited me and he gave me all these instructions about what was going to happen and the next thing I know, I was pregnant with this child. Who's going to believe such a story? Nobody's going to believe it. And so her life is now permanently changed. You know, I think sometimes we look at Luke chapter 1 and we say, wow, Way to go, Mary! That's awesome! You're going to be the mother of Jesus! In fact, the angel even said you are favored of God. God's shining on you in a special way. You're going to be famous. 
People are going to be talking about you. Preachers are going to be preaching about you for generations to come. This is going to be great. Way to go, Mary. But I assure you this morning that Mary's vantage point on this would have been painfully different. Because her life, her plans, and her hopes, and her dreams for her life, all of that, in just a moment, were turned completely upside down. In fact, verse 29 even makes clear that being told about all of these things, she had some fears about that. She had some reservations about that. In fact, in verse 34, she actually gives voice to some of those fears and some of those reservations that she has inside. But by the time that we get to verse 38, there is nothing but absolute submission and obedience to the Word of God. And I want to submit to you that that is exactly where it all has to start. Because think about this, if anybody ever could have been given a pass... It's got to be Mary right here, right? Couldn't Mary have been the one to say, whoa, 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 now hold on there, Gabriel. Let's just pump the brakes for just a second. Let's talk about this. If this is what's going to go down, if this is what's going to happen, then Gabriel, I'm going to need you to go with me to my parents. And I'm going to need you to explain to them all of this stuff that's going on. Because they're, they're not going to understand any of this. In fact, I'm going to need you to go with me down to the synagogue next Saturday. Because nobody down there, none of them are going to get this either. You're going to be there on the Sabbath to explain all of this to those people down there, right? In fact, now that I think about it, I'm really not even sure I want to do this right now. I'm still young. I'm not ready to be a mom yet. You know, how about we just kind of put this whole thing on hold right now. You come back and see me in, I don't know, five or six years. Maybe I'll be a little bit more ready. We'll give it all a try then. Young people, I hope you're thinking about this right now and kind of even thinking about Mary here. You may be able to relate to Mary, teenagers especially. Mary, Mary was very probably the same age as many of you. Think about that. In this culture, it was not uncommon for some Jewish girls to get married as young as 14. She is a very young woman. Yet it is remarkable to me that she does not act the way sometimes many teenagers act. And I'm going to say this not to pick on our teenagers, but to say this because I know how I was when I was a teenager. She doesn't act like the normal kind of teenager here. Whining, complaining, crying out, Why is this happening to me? What did I do here? You don't know what it's like to be me. There's none of that coming out of Mary's mouth. All we get in verse 38 is simple submission to the will of God. And I do believe that that is the starting point to knowing the Lord and being in relationship with Him. When we surrender our will to His will. In fact, the very essence of any strong relationship is trust and confidence that that other party in the relationship, that they are doing what they are doing because they have our best interest at heart. They know what is best for us. They want what is best for us. And so we let them into our lives. And I want to say to you that that is especially true whenever the other party in the relationship is God. Got to trust the Lord. That He is wiser and smarter and more powerful than we are. That He is able to see the end of a thing even from the very beginning. That He knows exactly what He is doing in our lives. And so that even when I look at my life and it's just a mess and it's a chaos, just a a total storm of all kinds of just things just going haywire, we're going to trust God anyway. 
going to place complete faith and trust and confidence in Him and then keep submitting to His will. And that's exactly what Mary is doing right here in Luke chapter 1. What Mary is saying, in essence, she's, she's saying, okay, I don't get this. I don't understand all of this. I don't know why this is happening. And it looks like this is probably going to be very difficult. It's going to be very, very inconvenient for me. But if this is what God says to do, then I trust Him. You count me in. Verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. And I want to suggest to you that a great key, a great piece of the puzzle in order for submission to be happening in our life is that word that I've included up there. And it's that word, humble. Humility. Humility. Mary, I believe, is an excellent example of humility that leads to submission. She is not all stuck on herself here. She does not here in Luke 1 or anywhere else in the Bible that I am aware of ever give off the impression that she's just so, she's just so special. That she's just kind of above it all. That she's just privileged in some way. Hey, look at me. I'm Jesus' mom. No. In fact, you keep reading on in Luke chapter 1. There in verses 46 down through verse 55, you have the song of Mary. It's sometimes called the Magnificat. And I want you to notice if you were to read that song, Mary doesn't even really even talk about herself at all in that song. There's a couple of places where she refers to herself as the servant of the Lord. But that song is primarily about God and about Him and His power and His might and His way and His will. What I'm saying this morning is that if you want to know the Lord like Mary did, then you'll need to get your gaze off of yourself. You'll need to humble yourself. You'll need to focus your gaze on the Lord and trust Him enough to say what she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I'm ready to do your will, God. That is the genesis of Mary's relationship with the Lord. And that is the genesis of our own relationship with the Lord. Now, of course, when we talk about Mary, we might have all kinds of questions about what it was like to be Jesus' mom. And there are things that we are, just our curiosities kind of run, run haywire on this. We want to know every detail that we can about what it was like to have Jesus as a little boy in your house. But of course, the Bible does not indulge all of those questions, does it? Really, the next time that we meet up with Mary in any kind of meaningful way is in John chapter 2. Would you find John chapter 2 in your Bibles? Because here we read of Jesus, he's now a grown man, and his mother Mary, they are both together in the same place. They are present for the wedding in the city of Cana of Galilee. In John chapter 2, read with me this account. In John 2, beginning in verse 1, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out... The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Got a problem. Got a wine. Verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, you do whatever he tells you. Now, many times when we read those verses, verse 4 is where we get hung up just a little bit. Because to us, it kind of sounds like Jesus is being rude to his mama here. 
But actually those who better understand the, the language of the day say that it's not nearly as rude as it sounds to us. And certainly him using the term woman is not even meant to be taken in some kind of derogatory way. However, Jesus' words there in verse 4, it may just signal to Mary that their relationship is it's changing here. He's essentially saying, Mother, I have my agenda. I was sent to this earth for a specific mission. I have my agenda to complete, and that's what my focus needs to be on right now at this moment. But of course, regardless of what you make of verse 4, what you absolutely have to love is what Mary says in verse 5. She looks at those servants and she says, You all, you listen to Him. This guy's going to tell you to do something, and when he tells you what to do, you need to do exactly what he tells you. Mary observed that there was a problem. They ran out of wine here at this wedding. She then brought that problem to the problem solver, Jesus. And she brought that problem to Him with this expectation that Jesus was going to take care of the problem. I believe what Mary is demonstrating for us here is that whenever you know the Lord, naturally, naturally then, that means you're going to turn to Him in times of crisis. While we're all kind of worried and hung up there in verse 4 about Jesus you know, saying woman, and however that's to be taken, Mary was seemingly undisturbed by that. She doesn't miss a lick. Doesn't miss a beat at all. Doesn't seem to bother her in any kind of way. She plows right on into verse number 5 with the conviction that Jesus is going to take care of the problem that was going on there. And I believe that it's pretty incredible that she does that Particularly when you notice what John goes on to say in verse 11. Drop down in the chapter. Look in verse 11. This, the first of His signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory. This is the first miracle that Jesus actually performed, at least in any kind of public way. And yet Mary, assuming she's never even seen Jesus perform a miracle, she just expects that Jesus could do that. And in fact, she trusts that He will do that. What Mary believed is that when times get tough, when you find yourself in a jam and in a pickle, your immediate reaction ought to be to turn to the Lord. And doesn't that just make sense whenever you're in a relationship with the God of heaven? When things go awry, what do you do? You turn to the people that you trust the most, the people that you care about the most, the people that you are the closest to. If something goes wrong in my life, I'm talking to Tiffany about that. And you know, it really doesn't even make any difference what it is. doesn't matter whether she can even do anything about it or not. I'm talking to her about that. If nothing else, she can at least sympathize with me about that problem. In a crisis, we turn to the people that we have close relationship with. When we know the Lord... I'm submitting to you this morning that he ought to be at the top of that list. We've kind of got our list of emergency contacts. The Lord ought to be number one. All throughout the Bible, we see people doing just that. I think about David in 1 Samuel. We're fixing to get to the story of David in our Bible reading schedule. In 1 Samuel, constantly, we see David turning to God with every kind of question, every kind of dilemma, every kind of difficulty. I think about Esther in the book of Esther. Before she actually goes in to, to talk with the king, she turns to God in a time of fasting. I think about the prophets. The prophets regularly are turning to God. Lord, we spoke your message and the message fell on deaf ears. What do we do now? Constantly going back to the Lord. 
Over and over again, we see people in Scripture turning to God when the going gets rough. You know what? That's what the children of God are supposed to do. You know, if my wife, if she calls me, she says, I had a flat tire. And I say, okay, where are you? I'll come there and I'll help change it and we'll get that fixed. And then she responds and says, oh, don't worry about it. I called somebody else and he came and fixed it. Whoa. What's up with that? What's that? That's a problem. You're supposed to be calling me. We are in a relationship. And you can actually see how you can kind of get your feelings hurt there a little bit. Have you ever had maybe a close friend who something was going on in their life, something really terrible, maybe they got diagnosed with some terrible disease or they lost their job or the bank's about to foreclose on their house and they tell everybody else about it, tell all their other friends about it and then somehow you're the last one to know. You just didn't get the memo on that. You're just completely left in the dark as to what was going on in their life. And finally, when we do find out about it, we go to that friend and what do we say? We say, hey, how come you didn't tell me? How come you didn't come to me? How come you didn't call on me for help? You ever had that experience before? That hurts. That can be painful. I wonder sometimes. I wonder if God doesn't get His feelings hurt on occasion. Because too often we are so self-assured. We're just so ruggedly independent. We're Americans. Don't take care of this myself. We have all of these friends around us that we go to them and we, we bring them into our problems and we get their help in things. God's kind of standing over there on the sidelines and He's waving His arms and He's saying, Hey, what about me? When are you going to call on me? When are you going to try me out? When are you going to let me be involved in your life? You're in trouble. You've got problems. When are you going to ask me for help? When we never come to Him, when He is not the number one thought on our emergency contact list in time of crisis, when we do not seek His assistance in time of trouble, could it be that we just very fundamentally, we just lack the kind of trust that Mary had with the Lord? You know, I certainly understand as we think about calling on God in times of trouble. I understand that people can get very carried away in prayer. And I recognize as well that people sometimes make very inappropriate requests in prayer. Lord, the bank's about to foreclose on my house. Lord, please help me to win the Powerball Saturday night. I understand there's some real problems with that kind of thing. But I'm saying this morning that the foundation of relationship, at least one of the foundations of relationship, is communication. And an awful good time to be communicating is when things are not going well. That's what Mary did in John chapter 2. What in the world are we waiting for? Turning to the Lord in time of difficulty, that ought to be at the heart of knowing God, being in close relationship with Him. All of that then leads me then to this third and final truth this morning. How exactly is this story between Jesus and Mary, how's it all going to culminate? I'm guessing that most of you already know how this story is going to end. Jesus came to the world in order to die for the sins of the world. That means then that Mary will watch her son die. She will watch him not just die, but be brutally executed. 
Before her very eyes, she will see him suffer a most horrific and agonizing death. And in that moment, in John the 19th chapter, would you turn to John 19 now? We learn something incredible about trusting God and about being in relationship with the Lord. In John 19, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And we're told there that the soldiers, they are gambling for His garments. And as John records these things, he then says in verse 25, he says, So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were His mother, His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved standing nearby, Presumably that's John, the very author of this gospel. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. You know, whenever we talk about those seven famous sayings that Jesus uttered from the cross, this is the one that always seems to kind of get the short end of the stick. We are just astonished at Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do at for His crucifiers. And we are as well, we kind of are just kind of entranced and really inquisitive about Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And wanting to know all the depths of that. But it seems like this one is the one that really gets passed over. Almost like it's just not even really all that important. Really what Jesus is doing here is He's just kind of you know, tidying up some last business, taking care of some family business here. But I don't want us to gloss over it this morning. Because in this saying from the cross, we learn an awful lot about Mary's relationship with the Lord and the kind of relationship that we can have with the Lord as well, and that is this. Knowing God, it means knowing that God cares for you. That's exactly what's going on here in John 19. You know, I've said lots of things and offered lots of things this morning to get us to think about the kind of love and the kind of care that we are to demonstrate toward God. That we are to have that heart of submission toward God. To trust Him. To have confidence in Him as well. To to turn to Him. All of those kinds of things. But you know what? Relationships are a two-way street. There's some reciprocation going on. And oftentimes what people want to know is is they want to know, does God reciprocate that relationship back to me? Does God care about me? And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about does God care about the whole world. I'm not talking about does God care about the church. I'm not talking about does God care about you know people and humanity in general. No, 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 no. Does God know me? Does God care about one individual person. John 19 says emphatically, yes, He does. Because in the middle of dying for the sins of all mankind, Jesus stops everything, puts even His suffering on hold momentarily in His mind to say to Mary, I'm taking care of you. I'll tell you, that is amazing to me. Because it's really easy for us to somehow imagine that in the gigantic sphere and span of the universe, that somehow we're going to get overlooked by God. That's an easy thought to think. Think about it. There's all these, all these galaxies up in the sky. 
All of these solar systems in the universe that God is, is maintaining daily and keeping in order. Then as well, there's all of these nations here on earth with all of their kings and all of their leaders and God is observing them and He's using them in order to carry out His purposes. There's all these big doings and there's all these big people that's got God's attention. And as a result, it's easy for me to think to myself, well, I, little old me, I'm just not really on God's radar. God's not really looking at me. He doesn't see me. He doesn't even really know me. God didn't really have time for me. But John 19 says, think again. Mary knew firsthand the love of God. At a time when she may have been more hurt than any human being has ever hurt. At a time when she may have had more questions than anybody has ever had before. Questions like, why is this happening? How could this happen? What went wrong here? I can't believe this is taking place. In the middle of all of that confusion, in the middle of all of that pain, what does God in the flesh do? He doesn't make a doctrinal pronouncement. He doesn't make some big faith statement of epic proportions. No, He stops and He simply says in His own way, I care about you, Mary. What I hope we are able to see from that is that you and I, we're not going to fall off of God's radar. Instead, even in the midst of a very messy and messed up world, God sees you. And He cares for you individually. That you are not too small. You are not too insignificant. God is not too busy for you. Let me be even more specific this morning. The people who are deeply committed to God, the people who are in this relationship with the Lord that we call Christianity, God knows who you are. And I want you to know that God is even more committed to you than you are to Him. He cares for you that much. And although we may not be able to hear His actual voice speaking down from the cross like Mary did, When we look around at creation, particularly at this time of year, we hear His voice, don't we? Whenever we open up the Bible and read His Word, we are hearing His voice. Whenever we are surrounded by the people of God, by His church, we are hearing God's voice. Whenever we delight in His providence, that God provides exactly what we need at exactly the right time, we know, don't we? We know exactly what Mary knew in John the 19th chapter, that God cares for me. That is absolutely essential to our walk with the Lord. And that understanding helps us to have the kind of relationship with God that Mary had. And so I go back to John or to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Let him who boasts boast in this. That He understands and knows me. And I go back to my original question. Who do you think really knew the Lord the best? Well, I'm not really sure we can give an answer to that. And I actually don't think that in heaven they're going to be given an award for who knew God the bestest. But if they do, there will be some pretty impressive names, pretty impressive nominees standing in that line. I believe that real close to the front of that line, 
will be a young Jewish woman who knew the Lord in an incredible and powerful way. But what is amazing about Mary's relationship with God is that she then models for us how we can know the Lord too. Those three ideas, and I hope you've noticed this morning, I did not reinvent the wheel in any way. Those are three fundamental principles. They undergird everything that it takes to begin and to sustain a relationship with God. And so we ask, who here this morning is in need of appropriating those truths in their life right now? If you are a sinner who has never been washed, cleansed in the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, then make no mistake, number two right there, you are in a time of crisis. You may not think of it in this way, but you are. If you're outside of Christ... You are in the most crisis of situations that you possibly could be. You are lost. You are in danger of eternal damnation and destruction. What I hope you recognize this morning is that God cares about you. Specifically, individually and personally, God cares about you. And He longs to save you. You will turn to Him. If you will trust Him, Submitting in humble obedience to His will. This morning, you can become a Christian. Upon your confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we will baptize you in water. There's water right behind that curtain there. Baptize you in water for the forgiveness of any and every sin, which will then put you into a right relationship with your Creator. You can then begin your walk with Him. Deepening, strengthening, growing in that relationship day after day, for as long as the Lord allows us to live. If you are a Christian this morning, but you are not in a right relationship with God, you've allowed some things to interfere with all of that. Maybe you've allowed sin to get in the way and mess all of that up. Maybe just lukewarmness and apathy has has really stunted your walk with the Lord. You need to turn to Him. Come back to the Lord. Come back to Him in humility and in repentance. Pray and ask for His forgiveness. If we can encourage you and help you to that end, we stand ready to do that as well. Let's know the Lord. Let's know Him in a way that will please Him and that will yield eternity in heaven when this life is over. If you need to respond to the invitation of the Lord, take advantage of this moment right now while we stand and while we sing.